0: Welcome to TAC Talks, a podcast where we unpack the standards for registered training organisations to provide practical information to support business improvement and compliance practices. I'm Claire Marshall from the Training Accreditation Council, or TAC, and today I'm joined by Dr Russell Docking, one of TAC's auditors. Russell is an expert in the field of training and assessment and the standards for RTOs. Today he will help us navigate the often misunderstood topic of amount of training. We hope this podcast will assist you to ensure learners are provided with an appropriate amount of training for them to meet the requirements of the training product in which they are enrolled. Before we commence today, I would like to respectfully acknowledge the Wadjuck people on whose land we record today's podcast and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hello Russell, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you very much for having me, I'm pleased to be here today.
0: Russell, let us start by defining the term amount of training for our audience what exactly does it mean? And in terms of RTOs, what are their responsibilities in relation to amount of training under clauses 1.1 and 1.2 of the standards?
1: That's the best place to start, really. The term amount of training refers to the time a learner is to be formally engaged with the RTO in structured learning activities. The amount of training determined must be sufficient to enable the learner to meet the requirements of the nationally recognised training product in which they are enrolled, whether that is a single unit of competency, a skill set or a qualification. These structured learning activities can be provided in many different ways, including face-to-face training, online learning or training conducted in the workplace.
0: Thank you Russell. Can you describe for us what makes amount of training an important consideration for RTOs when developing training and assessment strategies?
1: Simply, determining the amount of training for each of the RTO's training products is not only a necessary activity under the standards, it should also be seen as a valuable activity by RTOs as it supports learners and is good business practice. It is essential that RTOs ensure the amount of training they are offering to their learner cohorts is appropriate, allowing them the necessary time to develop the skills, knowledge and behaviours expected by industry something required by the standards. It's also good business practice to accurately determine the amount of training, as too much training may be a waste of the RTO's resources and the learner's time. But if too little training is determined, learners will not be ready to participate effectively in the workplace, which could impact on the graduate's ability to confidently undertake tasks in the workplace, and in turn impact negatively on the reputation of the RTO. Can I just say, before we go any further, TAC has produced a fact sheet on the amount of training that contains very clear information, as well as excellent graphic representations relevant to the concepts we will be referring to throughout this podcast. It also has a couple of case studies which I believe cover some of the concepts we will discuss now.
0: Thanks Russell. The fact sheet is an important resource to gain a better understanding of the key concepts around amount of training. Building on our last question, what common factors influence amount of training?
1: There is no magical mathematical formula that can be used to determine the amount of training for a particular training product. This is established during the planning and design phase of the training development process for each unit of competency. The only way this can be done effectively is by applying a logical and systematic approach taking into account these four factors. Firstly, the learner's existing skills, knowledge and experience, secondly, the mode of delivery, thirdly, an RTO's resources, and finally, the number of units of competency included in the skill set or qualification, and the complexity of the units of competency. Once the RTO has identified those factors, the specifics of the training delivery can be determined. Often the best way of doing this is to develop a detailed training and assessment strategy supported by a training and assessment plan, schedule and or session plans that will detail the content and timing of the individual training activities and how the requirements of the training package will be met.
0: Russell, for the benefit of our listeners, can you expand further on those four factors that influence amount of training? Can we start with what you mean by learners' existing skills, knowledge and experience?
1: Sure. During the training design and development phase for any training product, it is essential that the RTO determines who their target audience or learner cohort is, and what are their characteristics. The first thing the RTO has to do is to determine their cohort starting point on the learning journey, and if they have any existing skills, knowledge and experience relevant to the training they will be engaged in, or whether there are any barriers to learning. This information should be documented in the relevant strategy for training and assessment. The second factor, mode of delivery, will also need to be taken into account. For example, the amount of training required for face-to-face intensive full-time training, where classes are run every day, will be less than for online correspondence or distance learning courses, especially if study is part-time or included in a traineeship or apprenticeship. So this will inform amount of training determinations. In regard to the third factor, RTO resources, the number of learners participating in each course and the resources available in the RTO will often impact on the amount of training offered to a particular cohort. Student numbers and learner-trainer ratio and the availability of resources, such as access to facilities and or equipment, should be specified for each course. And finally, the number of units of competency in the skill set or qualification will impact on the amount of training decisions. For example, the more units of competency included, the greater the amount of training required for the learners to develop the skills and knowledge to complete the full course. Also, the amount of training for individual units might vary considerably depending on the complexity of the subject matter, and there may be opportunities for clustering units where duplication of competencies is evident. This too can affect the determination of the amount of training.
0: So can you tell us, Russell, what are some of the common misunderstandings around amount of training?
1: An issue seen by auditors is that some RTOs do not take a logical, systematic approach to determine the amount of training for a training product, and in particular, why that has to be specific to a learner cohort. Some RTOs see amount of training as a box to be ticked in the relevant training and assessment strategy template, and little thought is given as to how much rigour must be applied to determine an appropriate amount of training during the planning and design phase for each unit of competency. One of the pitfalls auditors see is when an RTO uses the rationale that the amount of training they offer is determined by past practice. They have always delivered that particular unit in one day, or they link the amount of training to market competition, what their competitor is doing. An RTO may condense and reduce the amount of training and course duration to a level that does not allow learners to develop the knowledge and skills required, purely because another RTO is delivering similar training in shorter duration.
0: Thanks Russell. There are a number of similar terms used to describe training duration. Can you tell us the difference between amount of training, volume of learning, nominal hours and course duration?
1: Sure. The amount of training, as already discussed, refers to the time a learner is to be formally engaged in structured learning activities, so includes activities discussed earlier such as face-to-face lectures or tutorials, online tasks, online forums, structured workplace experience, workshop activities, projects and assignments, prescribed reading and prescribed follow-up activities. Volume of learning is a term defined in the Australian Qualifications Framework, or the AQF, as the notional duration of all activities required for the achievement of learning outcomes specified for a particular AQF qualification type. So this includes structured learning and assessment, plus any unstructured learning included informal workplace visits, private study, preparation and follow-up of structured activities, self-initiated learning, and research. For audit purposes, an RTO will only be audited on the amount of training. However, it is important that the RTO documents the rationale for any significant variation from the volume of learning as stated in the AQF for a particular training product. Course duration is simply the period of time whether that be the number of days, months or years that need to be set aside to undertake the course from enrolment to completion. This may include the volume of learning plus holidays, induction programs, graduations. And finally, nominal hours. This is not a term used in the AQF or the Standards for RTOs. In Western Australia, nominal hours are employed as a mechanism for funding allocation from government and could be used as a guide but should not be used by RTOs to determine how much time to allocate to the delivery of training and assessment services for a particular unit of competency.
0: Thank you, Russell. Can you explain for the listeners what evidence an auditor is likely to review when assessing an RTO's compliance in amount of training?
1: During an audit, an auditor will expect to be able to see how the RTO has arrived at the amount of training for a qualification, skill set or unit of competency. An auditor will want to see how the RTO has worked out the amount of training required for each unit of competency, and they must be able to follow the approach taken to be satisfied that the amount of training will meet the needs of the learner cohort, industry, modes of delivery and other requirements. It is critical that the RTO can justify and provide evidence to explain the amount of training it plans to deliver. Included should also be a reasoned, evidence-based account of the amount of structured training the learner is required to commit to, taking into consideration their existing skills, knowledge and experience, and the mode of delivery and resources of the RTO. It is also essential that the RTO provides evidence that it evaluates the adequacy of the amount of training during and after delivery in accordance with Clause 2.2 of the Standards and evidence which shows how the outcomes of the evaluation process have informed any changes made to the amount of training delivered.
0: Thank you for speaking with us today, Russell, and for providing our audience with a clearer understanding of how the amount of training they offer for particular training products meet the requirements of the standards for RTOs. Russell, what final message would you like our listeners to take away from today's podcast?
1: As a final message, I think RTA should remember that as long as they have applied a logical and systematic approach to determining amount of training and documented the approach, then this will go a long way towards justifying any determination they make.
0: You have been listening to TAC Talks with Claire and Russell on the topic of amount of training. We thank you for joining us.